0: At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard. visit us at scotiabank.com/smallbusiness The last 3 years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops. An exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organisations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert Lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on site pop up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Want a free pass? Use code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca.
1: Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Matt Mitzi, co-founder and CEO of Drinkable in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Matt is an environmental scientist and venture capital enthusiast. His vision is to enable water literacy at the press of a button. Matt is building the world's first accurate, easy to use and affordable water test device for consumers. Drinkable promises easy, accurate, and affordable water testing with the press of a button. Matt has a Bachelor of Science with a focus on biology, chemistry, geology, and environmental assessment and policy. As CEO and co-founder at Drinkable, Matt leads a team of researchers, strategists, technologists, and engineers. Matt Mitzi, welcome to the show. Rick, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on. We're delighted to have you here. We want to hear all about Drinkable and uh, the problems you're solving, but 1st our usual question: What's the top piece of advice that you hope that busy entrepreneurs who are listening to the show will take away from this conversation today?
2: That's an interesting one to start with, and and I think a lot of the uh, other entrepreneurs out there might um, uh, might think the same thing. And that's because there are, as you know, there's an abundance of entrepreneurial, so to speak, experts out there. So many that you know, before I've had an opportunity to. Uh, nail down my credentials and earn the trust of the audience. Uh, I can only give so much, but if there's one thing that that I would you know push, um, I think it's the the t- to take a better look at VCs themselves and the funding that comes to 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 fuel and grow the ideas that entrepreneurs are so crazy about. Um, and I think, you know, that's the the crux of it all is that. There's still a lot of growing that needs to happen on the the intellectual space uh, with regards to venture capital and some of the optimizations there and we don't readily teach it in school so it's not as competitive as some of the other business uh, lenses in terms of the people going into that space and making it competitive and as a result that advice that i was talking about it it over percolates for sure now the the drawback of that is that because there's so much expertise that people don't think they have to go and, and dig for People are making companies that aren't necessarily designed for their second customer. So their first customer might be, um, and for us, we're creating a water test device, and our and our customer is someone who's got concerns with their water. But we have a second customer, and that customer is the VC, the venture the venture capitalist who has very uh, limited constraints, narrow uh, concerns. Uh, as an investor, has legal obligations, tax implications for their limited partners who are providing the funds, and the. That, that second customer needs to be taken into consideration from the early days so that the the uh the, the product that you're bringing to the world is being brought into the brought to the world in a way that can be supported by the systems in place so i would say first and foremost if you're an entrepreneur and it's the early days go and find speak to a vc if you if you can get a, a hold of them and find a book that they trust and and dive into it and start learning about how to build a company for them very cool i don't think
1: we've had that as a suggestion but that's not, that that sounds very sensible um i was going to ask you this later but let's skip to it now have you been able to raise some 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 venture capital funding for drinkable
2: uh we have uh it, it is limited um, what we've brought in so far is about two hundred and ten thousand canadian um, we've been we've done a pretty good job of bringing in non-dilutive to support that uh, we are currently doing a raising uh, a raise right now um in the ballpark of 850,000 Canadian uh, should be coming to a close by the time this uh, this podcast launches. Uh, but uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you're an eager pre-seed investor, please reach out. Very cool. And you, you, you're in Dartmouth.
1: Um, is this is the venture capital community
2: there supporting you, or you had, have you had to reach out further? We've had uh, a lot of luck, very regionally. So I, you know, I'm not sure what the landscape looks like uh, during and post COVID, but prior to COVID, Halifax and the Dartmouth area were known as one of the easiest places in the world to get your first million. Um, and then past that, there's not that many big fish out here. So you do have to have the the horizon thinking that at the seed stage or the Series A and beyond, I need I need to look for fuel outside of the ecosystem. But Atlantic Canada is actually quite good for the the million and below. I hadn't actually heard that
1: um, prior to COVID. That's starting to be a long time ago. But um, tell me the, briefly, and then we'll get on back, get, get to the script and I'll ask you a question too, um, tell me briefly what made and maybe may still make Halifax-Dartmouth uh, a great place to raise a million bucks, because that, that that's a pretty good thing
2: to be. It's possible that it mirrors what made Silicon Valley so nice in the early days. It's a place where you can raise a family. There's lots of, of cheap places or at least affordable places to live relative to some other parts. It's near water, which is, you know, it's just got some features that are uh, conducive to someone taking a risk, regardless of if they have an early uh, family or not, a young family. And uh, that, makes all, th- that makes a great breeding ground for a lot of young, uh, enthusiastic people to jump in and try to solve problems. And those solutions often become startups. and. As a result, the uh, I, I I suspect there's just a lot of action here. So, um, you know, in, in in the same way, I think there's a lot of, of uh, younger or middle aged wealthy people that have either moved here or grown up here and they love seeing that 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 uh, that activity. Um, and I think it's just become part of the culture to 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 give early stage ideas a, a chance out here. Everybody knows everybody because the ecosystem is so tight knit and it is small enough that There's the mentality of I'm going to try and help everyone where it hasn't it hasn't gotten so big that you need to pick and choose who you you need to help. Um, And I think that's um, I think that that's a few of the reasons. That's 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 very cool. I'm I'm,
1: I'm very pleased to hear that. My dad's family came from Nova Scotia and uh, I know there's some great entrepreneurs there, but I didn't know there was actually some really good startup capital available. So uh, great to know. Thank you for that. On LinkedIn, you open your profile by saying, we all have ideas to make the world a better place, but often we aren't taught to harness that ingenuity. So tell me what ingenuity is and what has helped you harness your ingenuity as an entrepreneur.
2: I had I had some cheat codes, some blueprints, so to speak, uh, that I was exposed to at a very young age. So my father, electrical engineer, uh, Big risk taker, found, co-founded his own electrical testing company, and it helped launch a number of, of Fortune 100 and 500 products from research labs uh, to people's uh, doorstep wow. and um, ended up testing about 70% of the world's airbags for safety and uh, really like carved out his own sensor niche in, in a weird way. And his parents didn't even speak English when they when they arrived in Canada. Um, So to see someone with, uh, frankly, very limited resources uh, make his way so gracefully uh, to a place that he wanted to be shows me shows me that anybody can do it as long as, um, you know, society's fabric is conducive to that. So um, I think um, And did your dad do that in Halifax as well? He did that in the Toronto area, Burlington, Ontario, um, which is, you know, that place has changed quite a bit now. (laughs) That's not uh, that's probably not a place to have a startup anymore because you go bankrupt just getting your office set up. But um, um, yeah, I think for me, it's it's really all about that and how I stumbled into the venture capital world. I um, I, along with our head of operations. I competed in the uh, venture capital investment competitions and we we did. Uh, we won the, the Canadian Nationals, if you want to call it that um, and, and went to the US. And again, it just showed me that's like, holy crap. There's uh, there are not enough scientists and engineers in this space carving out the fuel they need to implement solutions to very obvious problems that everybody is assuming somebody else is working on, and like that's for me it's it's quite painful because all I see is uh, the world over our problems being overlooked and assume and everyone assuming somebody else is is taking care of it and uh, I think to be an entrepreneur is to is to be someone who never makes that assumption. Wow, that's really interesting. Right? That's an interesting headspace to be. What are a couple
1: problems that you wish someone was working on that that most people would think someone's working on
2: but you know as far as we know nobody is. This is this might be a strange response, but there's no one that's really strongly competing with us right now. And that's the technology is difficult. It is very difficult. So I'm I'm not going to water it down, but it's not difficult enough that we should be alone in this, in this space. Um, and that speaks to a lot of problems. It speaks to probably funding issues, headwinds in the municipal water space that pull water tech to municipalities versus consumers. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I think people should be focused on water and people should be focused on how do we stop plastic from going everywhere. And people should be really figuring out how we, how to stop taking fish from the ocean at this, at this rate um and how do we bolster soil quality if we're going to lose fish and fish nutrients aren't being carried on land by birds and the soil's not being rejuvenated that way we need to start some very answering some very large questions and i don't think large questions have simple answers so i, I think it would be best if we if we started answering the big questions now
1: yeah, finding the problem to solve is, is, is a problem for a lot of people. So I love that you answered that question mm-hmm. about name some unsolvable problems by picking them all in one area, the, the area that you know best, I guess. Um, so that's a wonderful illustration of, uh, you know, just how much we have to do. Yeah. And, and, and as you say, you know, we, we, the world has lots and lots of scientists, but way more problems. Then we have scientists and engineers and entrepreneurs. So they're, they're, there are always problems to solve. If I ask you what helped you harness this ingenuity as an entrepreneur, you're saying it was seeing your dad do it and knowing that this
2: could be done? I would say a combination of that and competing in the venture capital investment competition, uh, which later landed me a job as a managed fundraiser uh, for med tech companies at the series A level uh, at a firm in Toronto. I did that for about half a year and I saw that there isn't anything special. You learn a specific language once you've created a company that will work for VCs and you hammer the hell out of them. You go and you research, you find there are a lot of investors out there. You find investors who you you think would be interested in the product. You send them an email that indicates you've done your research uh, and you, you ask them if there's a time you could grab a coffee. If you need to fly out there, fly out there. But in most cases, since COVID, you can get a virtual chat going. And, uh, and if you do that enough times, there's enough people out there that literally need to get rid of money into companies just like yours. So, um, you know, it's just seeing that it's possible and, and being like, holy crap, this is how things get solved in the world. And uh, just seeing, not that it's possible, it's better for my personality to pursue this environment versus, um, I think there's an analogy we, we discussed recently internally, and that's the difference between a blue ocean and a red ocean. Most people go to a red ocean, and that's the the bloody ocean filled with sharks competing over, you know, the an already determined promised land. And more of us need to be thinking about the the blue the blue ocean. I think that's um, that's the headspace that that I've typically carried. Is try if if it's not uh, if it's not bloody, it's probable that there are problems there that are not being effectively looked at. And as a result, there is opportunity.
1: You just mentioned, and I just want, want to see if we can elaborate on this for those who are not sure what you mean by that. You said there there's a lot of people out there, investors who need to get rid of money. And I'm wondering what that means in terms of, you know, helping entrepreneurs understand the venture
2: capital angel investor dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll touch on that as, as best I can. Uh, ultimately, if you're, let's let's make it a little bit more relatable, perhaps to to the everyday household. If 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 you've got someone who's managing your savings in the stock market, uh, um, a financial advisor of some kind, if they just didn't put your money anywhere, they wouldn't be very good at their job, and you'd probably go and find somebody who could. And VCs operate in a similar way. They go out and they earn the trust of someone that, that the, it's the trust of someone who's probably had some success in their life and they're looking to give back in some way and to help solve some of these, these problems. So they go and they're considered an L, a limited partner and they would give their funds to the VC to remove liability and they'll, they're will they gonna look the other direction, manage my money legally and safely, but put go and put it in companies and grow it and show me the results of the money. And that, that VC is now tasked with finding the most interesting startups within the philosophy of their firm. And they need to find you if you fit, if you fit their firm uh, better than another competitor. So it's in the VC's best interest to hear from you. Uh, and both VCs and entrepreneurs, it, specifically in that relationship, should really embrace cold emails to each other uh, to introduce yourselves because it's a uh, it's a match made in heaven when it yeah, works out. I, I just love the way you put that, because it really flips the script for a lot of people who
1: think venture capital is this hard to reach institution. They have all these rules. They're full of all these uh, um, people who know each other. And it, it's just good to be reminded that, hey, they need to find these investable solutions, These the, the, the these moonshots. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back to Drinkable, which is the business you co-founded, and water testing, which sounds like the business to be in in the 21st century. So, how did you get into this space, and why was this a
2: problem you wanted to solve? I, I there's not a romantic answer, which is unfortunate because I think that that's you know what everybody's hoping for. But uh, I was bored. I was you know doing part time schooling uh, while I did some part time work, and. I really liked reading scientific abstracts and uh, you know, I started to think of, I know in some countries where it, there's a lot of good sunlight. um, If there's no rush, uh, some of these groups will put water in a glass bottle or a water bottle and leave it out in the sun and the ultraviolet breaks down some proportion of the pathogens that are inside. It, It helps a little bit. And so my, I was thinking, what if there's a way to facilitate that? Um, in some way, and, and and some of the stuff we came up with was directly translatable to off-grid water filtering in large volumes, and so. Uh, Sorry, let me just take you back there.
1: You 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 passed my level of comprehension with sentence three. <laughs> um, when you talk about people leaving a bottle of water out in the sun to break down the pathogens, that's an accident or that's actually a way of testing water in some rural
2: areas? Oh, well in third world or developing countries, that is a way of reducing the amount of active uh, pathogens in your drinking water. So that's actually their treatment, uh, which is, um, so you're getting it from some puddle or tainted source or something.
1: And you're, and in order to get rid of the back, the harmful bacteria and whatever else is in there, which we'll talk about, um, you leave it out in the sun.
2: Yeah. And so I, I had come up, uh, along with, you know, those abstracts that I was reading. I determined that there was a way, um, to release zinc ions in a way that would kill all the bacteria almost immediately. Um, but would be at concentrations you couldn't taste. And that was the threshold that hadn't been achieved before. It was always at at thresholds that tasted kind of gross. Zinc's fine for you at that level, but it's gross. Um, Once we figured that out, we thought of why are we just doing this in a water bottle? Let's help the remote communities in Canada. We identified about 300, mostly First Nations, um, and very quickly started meeting company after company after company that had tried to solve that problem and gone bankrupt. And we learned all of the issues and all the causes and all of it pointed back to water testing, needing to have a technician on site with danger pay and remote pay, needing to have those bottles shipped at a very rapid pace to the nearest lab, so that the pathogens stay um, whole and testable and trackable. Um, having over redundant systems that were very expensive, that were uh, um, in place because you couldn't optimize the te- the treatment for the the analyte specificity, um, lack of trust in the community. So having a really tough tra- time implementing the policies or the, the the technical solutions. So it was apparent that people needed to know on their own. And we needed to, if we could umbrella all of the analytics so that we could remove the technician from being on site, remove the number of engineers that need to be there and remove the level of redundancy needed on the water treatment side. Um, and also help tell the story with the data of those communities so that they feel safe and that they have a voice. Um, and that's ultimately where this all came from. Um, so really without realizing it, we pivoted uh, or I pivoted away from treatment to analytics as I realized that was the bigger bottleneck for what I've learned is essentially all the water concerns we have outside of municipalities. Wow, that, that's really interesting. And uh, you know, you got to
1: to study a problem to find out where the, 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 the sweet spot is. So it sounds like
2: you were able to, that pivot was the key. I think the pivot's always the key, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I really embrace pivots because it, it means it was always a decision we had to make. Um, we just didn't know it yet. Wow. So, uh, so, so tell me about the solution you
1: have now and you know, what, what sort of state in it, 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 are, are, is it in it? who, who are, who's the market that you're selling to? Um,
2: what are you hearing from the market? So we were taking part in the, the, uh, Atlantic Canadian, uh, aqua hacking challenge. And one of the problems that were laid out for the hackathon was well water testing. And the secondary research that had been provided to us by the researchers involved with the project was astounding. They told us everything. Who was testing? What were they finding? Uh, How have they ever tested before? Will they test again? What are the reasons they're not tested? Like everything. And it was evenly distributed to over a thousand wells in Nova Scotia. Uh, The reason that's so helpful is that in Atlantic Canada, Nova Scotia fits this trend. Nearly half the population out here, if not more, rely on well water. And about 30 to 40% of the time, there's at least one thing in the water that's over uh, recommended limits. So no one's testing, there's a problem. We got to know the, 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 the consumer. Moms are terrified of the water. You need to basically take a day off of work during a weekday. You need to understand a little bit about water testing and chemistry you need to be able to do paperwork, you need to have access to a car, it starts to add up where you need to get it back to a lab within 24 hours, and then you receive results that are complicated, generally designed for a technician. So it's not helpful. 3% of people test as often as they should, only 20% ever test. And so there's 80% of the, the Atlantic Canadian population who's consuming a a questionable source. It's, it's, it's groundwater. It's water that comes out of the ground and we don't test it. And that's, uh, there are some really unfortunate consequences of everybody consuming that water without thinking about the concerns, specifically uranium, arsenic, manganese, and lead. Now my
1: Nova Scotia relatives would say, Hey, this was good enough for aunt Nettie. It's good enough for us. Mm -hmm. Not good enough.
2: Yeah. Well, um, it depends what good enough it, it means. I mean, compared to some of our uh, more classical sources of water, perhaps it's actually quite good, but, um, we've done a lot, to the environment all over the world. And we put a lot of things on the surface of the ground and there's a lot of bad things naturally in the ground and meeting somewhere in between those two things is our water source. And, uh, we are getting to a point where we need to start tracking it in Canada, but, um, it feeds to a larger problem all over the world. And like you said, um, the 21st century is the century to start testing water. So um, I, I think it all fits together nicely.
1: So, so um, tell me about the company now. Are, where are you getting revenue from? If you're getting revenue, um, is it from consumers? Is it from like individual homeowners? Is it from institutions or
2: municipalities? Well, we have pre-orders open right now. So um, I, I realized I accidentally eluded your, your earlier question, where are we and how far are we along and all that. I think that fits this question pretty well. Um, so our we've developed nine of the 12 sensors that we need to have in our product that launches in October. Um, and we have uh, completed uh, evaluation PCB board prints to verify that our methodology of the testing is more than accurate or more than adequate. In fact, it it outperformed lab instruments um, that we were were running the the sensors through. Um, So we're very happy with the the electronics, the mechanical engineering, and the sensors. It's now just bringing it all together as we approach October in a way that is reasonable to manufacture, waterproof, easy enough to use, um, and, uh, and clearly communicates with people. So we're at the we're at the phase of bringing it all together, but all the pillars of the company are operating very strong. Um, so so now it's time to essentially put the uh, the the roof on the house. And what does your solution look like? Is it bigger than a bread box? Oh, the classic bread bro, bread box comparison. <laughs> um, it's um, I wasn't sure you get that, a, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's about the size of a s- smaller remote control um, nano iPod sort of thing, or, um, what's a, what's a good, like a, it's close to a deodorant stick, but thinner. Okay. And what do you do with it? You dip it in the water, you put water in it, you scan something. So it's, uh, it's based, uh, on electrochemical tech, uh, so electrochemical sensor technology. So, uh, all things disrupt the amount uh, how, how basically how natural electricity behaves in water. If you were to contaminate it with a bunch of lead, for instance, versus there not being any lead there, you would have a different electrical reading of the water. Yeah. So we've built each sensor to very accurately and precisely only interact with the analyte of interest. So if we don't see a change of specific, uh, a specific change on that one sensor, we, we can actually quantify how much of that specific analyte is there. Um, so we, we've built out a suite of these sensors, like I said, about 12 of them for October, and that'll help you determine, um, um, you know, what's going on in there. And so you dip these sensors or the sensor system with a disposable cartridge. So this, the sensors, unfortunately only work once, uh, 15 to 20 bucks for a cartridge, about 150 bucks for the device. You'd clip those two things together and you'd hang it on the edge of a glass that's full with water. And we'll let you know if, in about three to five minutes, what's in the water, if there's anything concerning, how much is there, what the health impact would be, and the easiest steps you can take to ensure potable drinking water for your family. Wow, that's cool.
1: So, so your market is consumers. So you want to sell that through the, the Home
2: Depot? Uh, we're going to go B2C uh, initially. Uh, for those who are not uh, as familiar with the acronym, that's uh, um, direct to consumer. Um, so we are going specifically online at first, I think it's very likely that we're in Home Depot and home hardware, home hardware specifically in Canada is quite, uh, um, lucrative for us, um, and, and, you know, and, and Canadian tires and, and whatnot, but I think to go direct to, to a B2B play to some of these retailers would be very costly in terms of both negotiation and margin at this stage. So we plan to build up a more robust reputation before we try to negotiate our way onto, onto shelves. Right. Another way to do it, of course, would be to say, Hey,
1: home hardware, Home Depot, Canadian Tire, one of you will get this product mm. come to us.
2: Yes. That is our hope. And we're, we're eager to gather the pre-order metrics and the wait lists so that we can have that conversation. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's
1: exciting. So you're saying that it'll cost you about 20 bucks to do this, you, you invest 120 bucks in the cartridge and the and and the device, and then it costs you about $20 a time.
2: Yeah, so right now we actually have a sale on. So if you pre-order today, it would be $100 for two cartridges and the device. Ah. So that, that package will go up to 150 with each uh, cartridge after that costing about 15 to 20 bucks. But it's very early days of, of the startup it's very likely that our pricing changes. Um, we have to make a lot of assumptions uh, to, to bring that to, a, uh, to, to anybody at a fixed price um, before it's we're ready to do so. And uh, in the nature of a startup, there's, a co- there's at least a few of us in the company who haven't done this before. So we're doing the best we can, but um, it's possible we're a month early, a month late, um, that one of the sensors isn't ready in time all the normal worries of a startup. That's very possible, but uh, all things considered, I think we've got a very good handle on the situation. Right. So you were, you were
1: familiar with the bread box metaphor. So let's talk razor blades. Are you selling
2: razors or razor blades? Yeah. Um, that is a good question. I think the model, the business model with numbers like that is more of a razor model, not just the blades. I think it's, a priority towards the device, but having the reoccurring revenue, um, I think it gives it a strong network effect where people right now are not talking about their water. And for the same reason, people don't talk about the bills they haven't opened at the, uh, you know, in their mailbox. If you can't solve the problem, you don't talk about it. You put it aside in some way. I'm very confident that when it's very normal for everybody to have something like this in their kitchen drawer, the conversation is going to take place so we really want to incentivize regular testing so the conversation is there little Tim, little timmy got sick but it wasn't the water it must have been something else once that starts to occur i think people will test like i think it'll become a very normal thing uh, and i think we'll look back and, and find it very strange we we drank water out of a hole and just trusted it i heard a news item recently
1: that uh, a, a city near toronto was considering uh giving people devices, I forget what they're called, that they could keep their, you know, electronic fob car keys in, in order to prevent the, the data from being stolen the cars mm-hmm. from being stolen. And I thought that's interesting. Here's a, a, a city that's thinking of getting into giving people devices that cost them money, you know, consumer products, but giving them away because every car that's stolen costs, probably costs thousands of dollars to investigate. By mm. the police. And so they see that there's a benefit to them getting out ahead of the problem. Can you see something like that happening? Would it be advantageous to municipalities and maybe smaller, more smaller municipalities rather than bigger cities? Would it be advantageous to them to equip their consumers, maybe in certain areas, certain parts of town, uh, with these devices so they could be the early warning system? That's a, a
2: great vision, and I really hope we get to that point. My concern for that, to getting to, there, to, to that vision, is that it's going to require a fairly courageous politician at some point. It's going to require a political champion for that to occur, and that political champion is likely going to be smart enough to know there's a chance that because as soon as a city is past a certain age, um, there's gonna be lead residuals in in some of the water lines and some of the older buildings. It's very difficult to pipe clean drinking water that far away from a water facility. And Canada does a really good job of making sure that water is very clean. The problem is that no one really knows that the lead they would detect would come from their water line, which is their responsibility. Or the, the, or the pipes and plumbing in their building. Um, so initially it's gonna be quite a, to be frank, it, I almost swore, it's gonna be a poop storm for whichever, or could be, um, if that politician were in, let's say Montreal um, or another, like an older area of Montreal or, or another city that's a, a particularly um, Age, aged that has lead lines um, and older piping infrastructure. Yeah, there's there's a, a real possibility that there's some bad publicity from that. That being said, if we can get through that, because that's only the initial phase, we're talking about vastly reduced medical costs. It's cost Canadians billions of dollars in taxpayer money to basically get people healthy from drinking contaminated water. I think the figure was in 2015, $3 billion a year. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, and that's just if you got sick, that this isn't taking into consideration people that missed school, people that missed work, people that couldn't be there for a family member. Um, And then you've got the other side where people are buying bottled water um, because they think that they shouldn't be trusting their tap water. And it's unfortunate because the people who trust it have a really difficult time relating to the people who don't trust it. Um, And that's because they're just, they're culturally different. Most people who don't trust the water are, there is uh, um, ethnic considerations. Uh, People who are not white the world over, about 80% of them don't trust tap water. Um, We're finding that people who have emigrated to Canada have a very tough time drinking the tap water and trusting it. This is because
1: of their backgrounds where the water may not have been as safe wherever they
2: came from? Yeah, a great example of that is our co-founder, Robert. He's from Ghana. I didn't know this until this year. He still boils and filters his tap water. It's it's psychologically so ingrained um, to just, just seeing it and feeling it yourself, getting sick from drinking not, uh, not in tap water, not bottled water. Uh, it, it's... it's uh, it's a very visceral feeling for people who have come from elsewhere in the world. And there's there's fewer places than people think where you can trust the tap water, a lot fewer. Um, and that was quite shocking to me to, to learn that. Okay. Now, we don't want to make people paranoid. So the average urban Canadian
1: living downtown or in a suburb, do they have anything to worry about? Should, should they be buying your product or are they not your target market?
2: Uh, I would say they are our secondary target market only because... Th- there's enough of them that are concerned so if you've got a kid um, and you're in an older building I would test if it were me uh, but if you're in a a, yeah. a, 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 a newer suburb let's say um, you're you're good to go I would trust that in a heartbeat Canadians have a real privilege to have um, such great drinking water and and cheap drinking water um, i I personally don't I drink tap water that's unfiltered let's put it that way and I live in a um, semi-aged street. So like, (laughs) I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, life or death. It's worth testing because it's not that expensive, but um, our our market is more for people who in the urban space have never been able to trust something because they've been misled so many times that how great would it be to reassure them that they don't have to keep buying bottled water and lugging it back to their home for their family. So, so there's people
1: looking for trouble is, part, is the main market, people with, with, with the chance of, of having a real problem with their, with their water source. Mm-hmm. But the secondary market is confirmation that, hey, this is safe. I don't have to test it again for another year
2: or two. That, and uh, yeah, I, it, it's a newer exploration for us. So the primary research is a little bit less, um, uh, less deep. But after talking with Robert, uh, that that co-founder from Ghana, and and some of his friends, that would reassure them when I when I asked them, would these would results from this allow you to trust the water? No, like, we might have to test it a few times, but yeah, we could then trust it and move on.
1: And I think up- this could also be a, an interesting product for a real estate agent. Uh, mm. They come in, they're, they're going to sell this house. Uh, they do a quick test and they're able to assure people, yeah, this water is 100% great. Here's a, here's a copy of the... Uh,
2: of, of the results. Absolutely. Even if, it, if we like getting a product in the health space to be regulated is difficult. So this would have to be a pre-screen. Hey, check it out. I know this is an old home. No lead though. You're good to yeah. go.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I th- And you know what, if an agent told me that, then I would
1: think, wow, this person really knows their stuff and they're really interested in making sure that I don't buy a lemon. So that, so the trust value would go way up a lot more than the, the, the $20 cost of that test. So uh, every real estate agent is going to want one of these. Fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's your day to day like as you count down the days to, uh, to, 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 to actually getting out of the the, 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 the pre-sale and getting into actual operations
2: and sales? Um, we have a pretty tight team. So we had an emphasis on very high quality members that cost a bit more um, and being very picky about that so that the foundation of the company could handle institutional investment and a big ramp up. So as a result, everybody has a lot of different types of tasks. The hats are are plentiful um, at Drinkable. But um, I range from talking to lawyers about industrial patents to planning marketing material for an expo that we're going to Miami for, to uh, talking to investors about raising um, a lot of money, to be on podcasts, to um, (laughs) uh, planning uh, product roadmaps from a visionary standpoint, planning primary research. It's really everything. There's from legal to atom level physics to policy considerations to what is the EPA looking for? Um, it's all over the place and it's very different from day to day. Um, but, but first and foremost, my job right now and recently is that we've, we've now hired enough people who are absolute choo-choo trains. And the good thing about that is stuff is getting done really quickly. The bad part of that is that if they start going down different tracks, they'll rip the company apart because they're so good at getting stuff done. So we're now at a phase of company where it's my job to make sure everybody's aligned and make sure people are happy and make sure everyone's aware of each other's requirements to get to their to their their own goals. So my my focus has very quickly shifted from being more often in the dotting the I's and crossing the T's and looking at the atom level research and is now um, checking in with the people who can do that better than me. And that's really interesting. That is
1: the one of the transition challenges that an entrepreneur has to master. How do you, you know, and, and, uh, when you started, the team was much smaller, you had to do everything, the jack of all trades sort of thing. So how are you navigating this? Is this an easy transition for you? Do you prefer this or do you miss those hands on days? I'll do this myself.
2: I always think I'm going to have a tough time letting it go. Uh, like, but it's my favorite thing to do. I I love doing the UX design. I, I, I can't let that go. And then, (laughs) And then someone comes on who can do it better and it feels so good to let go. So I don't think it's something that I'm necessarily good at preparing for, but when it shows up immediately, I find another aspect of the company that I love working on. So, um, I think I'm transitioning. Well, Uh, I really, I said this yesterday to our CTO, Danielle, I think this is the, these are the good days. These are the days where we have enough control. Everything's going great. Um, we have, you know, we're, we're all in alignment on the vision. We can all talk to each other on a day-to-day basis, and we're just thrilled that we're going. We're going so quickly towards that point on the horizon, um, and I think it will become more challenging. And I think the growing pains will only get worse. So I think right now transitions going great. Longer term, who knows? And how many staff do you have now? I think eight equivalent is probably a, a good a good number. Okay. So.
1: Two or three years from now, I'll let you pick the time frame. What does Drinkable look like?
2: If if we win the lottery, which there's an element of of winning the lottery that persists in the startup world, and, and that's okay to me. But if we win that lottery, we are a globally recognized and trusted method of determining if there's something wrong with your water, what's wrong and how to fix it. And we can use that brand and our relationship with, like you said, governments who are now actively facilitating products to help people's lives and to reduce costs. Um, I think that relationship is going to be eventually very strong. And I think everybody's going to want those tests to be there more than they don't. So I, I... I'm uh, tentatively optimistic that we'll be a household, a household brand, at least within North America.
1: That's very cool. And let me just, just ask you a final operational question. Um, patents, I guess you've got uh, a few patents
2: out there or pending? Or... We, um, so a good chunk of our initial scientific research on the sensors is trade secret. We've got a number of patents that one in particular on the pathogenic sensor side that we're, we're planning to submit um, another one on the pathogenic sensor that we're planning to submit and lots of odds and ends that we could uh, pursue as an effective way to slow people down in copying the idea. Ultimately, that's, that's our best goal here. There's a lot of ways to make an electrochemical reading um, and we've shown that it's possible and we're going to show that the market's there. And I know the copycats will show up and as long as we can just make it a little bit more challenging for them, that's, that's our goal right now. So. Um, we're at a good stage for that, but no patent submitted yet. And you
1: mentioned the, the trade secret. So that's something that's not going to show up in any patent. And you'll hope that that just stays secret for as long as it can.
2: Yeah, it is. Again, it is atom level adjustments, um, nano level adjustments. So our the research chair that leads our sensor development, he's a, he's a Canadian research chair, as well as a, a prior research chair in industrial uh, nanotechnology. Um, and he's working at Cape Breton University, Dr. Zhujiang, um, or Shine, as he prefers to be called. He's amazing, um, and he's he's really the one that's bringing it all together for us. Amazing, amazing. Um, it's been
1: fabulous to talk to, talking with you about this problem and the solution that you've got, and uh, the company that you're building. Uh, sounds like you're on all the right <laughs> on all the right trails, and uh, let's hope that that that, that lottery uh, is. is, is is a big win. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to share with our entrepreneurs based on the journey you've been on so far?
2: Um, I think right now there's been a lot of push that we're receiving that because we're in a, we're facing a recessionary uh, period, it's a good idea to raise money for longer lengths of time. And I know the textbooks would say raise for eight to 12 months it might be necessary to raise for a bit longer. So uh, that might be something worth consideration to make it through a, a skinnier period of angel and pre-seed investors.
1: Ah, OK, perfect. We've been talking with Matt Mitzi, the co-founder and CEO at Drinkable in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Wonderful new testing product. Can't wait to see it in the, in the, the aisles. At, Canadian Tire, Home Depot, whichever is the highest bidder for your business, and to to see it adopted by countries right around the world. Thank you so much for telling us about this adventure, Matt, and best of luck to you
2: and everyone at Drinkable. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It was an absolute blast talking with you as well, and uh, looking forward to the next podcast. Absolutely.